You are listening to the Theologizing at Remedy podcast, a podcast of Remedy Church in Rock Hill, South Carolina. The design of the podcast is to help the people at Remedy Church connect theology with community, mission, and care. Welcome to another Theologizing at Remedy, brought to you by your hosts, uh, both pastors at Remedy Church. Uh, My name's Chris Miller, and this is John Fudd Chambers. And we're excited to be back with you all, uh, back in the, the Remedy Church studio. Yes. Um, A.K.A. the, the uh, elder's office. Um, slash weight room. Slash weight room. Yep. Uh, so today we are going to be discussing um, the role of the home in making disciples. So what, what role, or uh, you know, the more clear title that we've given this is making disciples in and with the home. And so the umbrella, I guess, uh, Bible verse for us is Matthew 28, right? Go and make disciples of every nation. And so now we're taking that, that commission that's to the whole church and we're breaking it down. We're saying, what role does the home play within the great commission? And we have a caveat to start off with when we say home to make sure that you understand that we mean everybody. So uh, caveat is, go ahead. Oh, you want me to give the caveat? Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, the caveat um, is when we say home, we don't necessarily mean, oh, nuclear family. What we actually mean is any place that you stay at currently, that is your home. So, for instance, I have a wife and I have some children. That makes up my home where we live. Uh, but you also might be single and you might live in an apartment with Roommates, or you might be single and you own a house and you don't live with anyone. Uh, no matter where you currently live, that is your home, and this applies rightly to you. Across the board. Across the board. To everybody. Now, there are going to be some things like specifically uh, for husbands toward their wives and wives toward their husbands. But parents towards children. Parents towards children. But in, in, uh, in the case of making disciples... Anyone and everyone, regardless of social status, marital status, uh, can use their homes to make disciples. Right. Everything we say can be drawn out as a principle to, empl- to em- employ in whatever stage of life you're in. Right. Right. So to kind of kick us off, um, I want to use, a, a, I guess, an analogy that Vody Bauckham uses in his book, um, Family Shepherds. And he calls it the three-legged stool, or legged stool, of discipleship. And the three legs that he points out to are leg number one. And there's no order to these. Uh, you can put them in any order. Uh, no, no leg is taller than the other, necessarily. Uh, leg number one is mature believers discipling less mature, or another way of saying this, older believers discipling younger believers. And that's older women discipling younger women. Uh, older men discipling younger men. Uh, so that's le- stool number one, leg number one. Uh, leg number two is godly elders or pastors um, also pastoring their churches. Right? That's another form of discipleship. And then leg number three is uh, Christian home life, like your homes, using your homes to not only make disciples of those who may not know Jesus, but also uh, if you have roommates or if you have children or if you have a spouse, you're being actively involved in discipling those people that live uh, under the same roof, so to speak. Now, all three of these legs, Vody Bauckham points this out, all three of these legs, mature believers discipling less mature, godly elders discipling the church, and Christian home life, all three of these actually have the home intertwined uh, through each one. So let me give an example for leg number one, and then I'm going to invite Fudd to kind of give any comments on this. This is uh, Titus 2 um, in regards to mature believers uh, discipling less mature believers. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-control, and sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train, and this is the connection right here, the, the, the connection between discipleship and home life. And so train... Um, and so train the younger women to love their husbands and children. So there's example of the home. 
And here's an example of just discipleship in general. To be self-controlled, pure. Here's another example of the home. Working at home. Uh, here's another example of just general. Kind. And then here's another example of the home. Submissive to their own husbands. That the word of God may not be reviled. So here's an example, right, of maturity. Mature believers discipling um, younger believers. And it goes and it interweaves throughout the home. And part of Paul's point here is, if the home life is kind of out of whack in Titus 2, if the home life is kind of out of whack, it can serve to uh, basically cause others to revile the word of God, which it stands to reason that if the home life is not out of whack, it can also serve as people rejoicing for God's word uh, because of the home life. Um, so that that's the one leg, and that's how uh, home life inter- interweaves with mature believers discipling less mature believers uh any thoughts comments on that while we're just talking about maturity discipling uh or older discipling younger mm-hmm. um well one of the things that that has always kind of stuck with me about about uh people who've been in the faith longer maturing those that are newer to the faith is the relationship that paul has with timothy um, and basically, you know, you always hear, make sure if you're Paul that you have a Timothy. Um, but you can always remember that even though if you kind of view yourself as a Paul, um, to other people, you're still a Timothy. Mm-hmm. There's people that are actually Paul's to you, if that makes sense, yeah. more mature to you. And if you view yourself as a Timothy, there's actually people that you can be Paul towards. There, there are always people that are further in the faith and not as for, far in the faith, and you should have both. Um, and the reason why is uh, because that relationship you have is able to be um, far more reaching than you can imagine. So if you're, if you're discipling someone and they do what you did, then they'll disciple someone and possibly even more, and then multiplication occurs to where disciples are being made on, on large scale levels. The, the key text that has always kind of been used to explain that is second uh, Timothy two, two. Um, I'll read, start with verse one, but two, two is the, the key. Second Timothy two, two is the multi-generational discipleship uh, text. But Paul's talking to Timothy in verse one, it says, you then my child be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And then in verse two, and what you have Heard from me, so that's Paul talking to Timothy, in the presence of many witnesses. So there's been other people around that have heard it from from Timothy. Entrust to faithful men. So he's saying that once you've heard it and people have heard it, then Timothy, you go and trust it to those faithful men. So that's Paul's spiritual grandchildren, if you will, because they've heard mm-hmm. they're hearing it from Timothy. Yep. And then he says, "Who will be able to teach it to others also?" And so you've got Paul's spiritual grandchildren then teaching to the spiritual great-grandchildren. So that's four generations in one verse of what you're talking about, you know, people right. uh, discipling others, which when you start thinking about it, it's just one person. You're just one person. But man, like if you disciple someone and they go disciple more and they go disciple more who can also disciple, like just because you were obedient you've got a multiplication level of, of obedience and discipleship happening further than you could have ever conceived. Yeah, and so so kind of not to get too far away from the home, but like this is an important point uh, for Remedy Church members. Um, that re- Literally, the question is like, who is your Paul and who is your Timothy? Who, who have you sought out within Remedy? Or it could be outside of Remedy, but sure. um, who have you sought out who is older than you in the faith that you are actively allowing them to disciple you. you. And I would say, you know, go ask the person. Yeah. You know, obviously the older person can ask you as well. Um, but make sure you seek out and ask for that. And then the other question is, who are you then pouring out into as your Timothy? Um, you know, we have you the Sunday gathering. We have community groups. Uh, but another aspect of this is literally finding one or two people that you're going to disciple intentionally. You're going to read scripture with, you're going to pray with, you're going to fight sin with. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's and what we're really talking about I, here. I would say even, uh, like there should be more than one in your life 
the easiest thing, like somebody told me a long time ago, this was back in college, is whenever you go ask somebody to disciple you, you just say, hey, for the next three months, will you disciple me? I always put a time frame on it uh, so that if, you know, the, the person that's discipling you needs to be able to take a break because it's so short, they'll say yes. But even after a while, if you're like, I think I've gotten everything from this person, I can, you both came in knowing that here's the time frame. And then you move on to someone else. Or after it's over, you say, that was awesome. Hey, can you do it for another three months? Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. it's just a kind of a real practical way of it. Three months is not too big of a deal, yeah. usually, you know? So. And, and notice from the passage you just read, it should be a aim of our discipling of someone else that they then go on to disciple someone. Right. So, so it's, when you're it's, done, it's built in. after the three months, you can say, okay, you go do everything we just went over, I right. want you to go find three people. And do that. And then I want you to, if, if even better, come tell me how it went after yeah. the next three months. Tell me how it went. And then tell them when you're done to go do the same thing. And so before we move on to the next leg, um, let me just throw this question out here. We both can react to it. But how can we use our homes to participate in discipling our Timothys mm-hmm. and being discipled by our Pauls, so to speak? Like what are some ways that we can creatively use our homes to be a part of that. Do you just mean like in terms of hospitality or? Yeah, hospitality or any examples, anecdotes of just the home being used like that. Um, well, if they're, if they're younger than I am and they know that they want to be a dad and a husband, then, uh, just inviting them over to watch how the dynamic around the house plays out, the craziness. I mean, it's crazy at our house. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the more they're around seeing just the day-to-day of what it's like uh, to be a dad, to be a husband, then you know they can learn those are things I definitely don't want to do. <laughs> and those are ideas I never had that I could, I could use one day whenever I'm a husband or a dad. Right. Um, yeah. But... The formal scheduled time where you meet at Starbucks and you talk is is important, mm-hmm. but the just come over and hang out, uh, and let's just you know hang out at my house for the next few hours. And there's nothing scheduled besides we're just I'm just going through my day. I think those are maybe even more impactful yeah. sometimes than us sitting down at Starbucks and uh, you know, going through a text, which is important, you know, it's the, both of them are are needed, but then you get to see how I actually put it into practice. You know, when my kid does something crazy, uh, how do I react in that moment? Because across Starbucks, I'm going to tell you how I'm going to react, but that might not necessarily be what I really do. And it should be, it should be, you know? Yeah. One of the ways I think of it is we're, we're challenged as Americans for finding time. And so one of the challenging things to me has been to think through my schedule in in terms of like, are the activities that I'm doing in and outside of the home, but particularly even in the home, are they things that I have to do alone? Or can I invite someone to join me Mm -hmm. as I'm doing it? So like, you know, obviously like dinner, you Mm -hmm. can invite people over for dinner. Um, Or just like, you know, if it's a, a day where the family's going to be outside. You can invite people to come hang out with you outside. Um, grocery shopping. You could, if you're going grocery shopping, you can invite someone to join you grocery shopping. I mean, you can find creative ways right. to invite people into your life um, so that they can also experience not just the, hey, this is what the Bible says, but, hey, this is how I've kind of enfleshed the Bible in my own home, mm-hmm. so to speak. We realize right now during Corona, this might not be the easiest <laughs> thing to employ. But um, it's July now. But up until four months ago, it could have easily been the daily practice of our lives. Right. And this is all going to be one over, over one day, mm-hmm. Lord willing. And so we should want those things to be uh, part of our lives. And maybe it's, it's kind of possible even through Zoom, but not exactly. Yeah. Yeah. One, of the, one last example, then I'll, I'll move to the second leg. Um, community groups meet in homes, you know, Corona, we've been meeting over zoom. Some people have started meeting back into the homes again. Mm -hmm. Um, 
one example of being a part of the discipleship pro- process is to open up your home for a community group to meet in mm-hmm. because that's literally what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're giving people insights into your home life, but you're also allowing an environment for discipleship to kind of flourish. Mm-hmm. All right. So the second... We well, have to do it at our... We have to be the host for our community group. Right. Because... We can't really show up at someone's house with seven kids. Without wrecking everything. <laughs> <laughs> Hi. There's ten people here at your house right now. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. All right. So, the second leg is godly elders and pastors who are kind of, you know, obviously preaching and praying uh, and uh, running, uh, so to speak, uh, help leading the church. Uh, people might say, well, what does that have to do with the home? Uh, let me read First Timothy 3. Uh, four through five. This is a qualification uh, for elders in order to be, you know, an elder. He must manage his household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Uh, so, a couple of quick things there. Obviously, uh, one of the qualifications is as pastors, we have to manage our houses well, um, our children well, our wives well, um, and the dealings that go in and outside of the house well. And if we don't, it, it makes a connection here to if you, if you don't manage your house well, you won't manage the church well, um, because the church kind of is seen, right, as this kind of household analogy, household of, of God, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Believers are part of the same family with one another. Um, so uh, I guess on this uh, how does discipleship and the home kind of relate with elders? I mean, you, you say this often. I've heard you say this often, this idea of we should all, as men, aspire to the qualities of, of elders. Right. First so, thing, so That's verse 1. Right. If anyone aspires, and why would you not? Right. So that it's pointing out that this is a good thing. This is <clears throat> not just for pastors to manage their households well. That's a qualification. But, like, any person should aspire to having a household that's run according to God's word um, and those things. So, any Christian. Any Christian, right? <laughs> and let me ask this question. Does that eliminate the possibility of having a pastor who is single? No, I don't think so. Right, yeah. I don't think so. But he can still meet that qualification, right? Yeah, I mean, if there was a guy that was aspiring to be the office of elder, um, whatever age... And they they weren't married. I would say, do you plan on being married? Mm-hmm. Do you do you think you uh, have the gift of singleness from First Corinthians seven or no? And if they said, I do. I think I have the gift of singleness. Then I would say, all right. Well, then um, let's just see how you line up with the rest of the qualifications. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you're going to be single your entire life then, you know, we have to see how you line up with the rest and see how you... uh, The principle is in that text, I think it's verse 3 and Mm -hmm. 4, if you can pastor a small family, then you can pastor a big family. The big family is the church. And if you can effectively pastor a small family, then you should be able to effectively pastor a big family. Mm -hmm. And so then I would just say, well, you still need to try that, right? So let's make you a community group leader. Yeah. And let you pastor a small family of 12 people. And uh, if you can do that, then you, there's no reason why you probably couldn't become an elder. Right. Um, that's the principle, right? Yeah. So, but it doesn't disqualify you if you're not married. Mm-hmm. So that, I mean, that's, that's the way I would, I would treat that. If they say, yeah, I think I'm going to get married, then I would just go one of two ways. Depending on their age, maybe, or maturity level, or how long they've been a Christian, I'd say, well, let's let you get married. And see how you do. Right. And then we can talk about you being an elder. Or, I mean, this it would, it's case by case. Or I would say, okay, well, I don't know how long it's going to take. So we'll talk about you being an elder right now, being a community group leader. And, but we will, as you get married, also want to look at your, your, your life as a husband and father, assuming you'd be a father, and make sure you still meet the qualifications of being an elder one day. Right. Whenever you become one. Right. Yeah. 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 And I, I think, too, just the principle here is that they're they're managing their household well. And 
part of some of the roles of household. You know, you can have your spouse, your children, um, but that's not, if you don't have a spouse and you don't have children, you still have a household. So you, you still, um, I would look to, like, how do they manage their current, like, where they currently live? Do they, mm-hmm. do they have practices put in place even for their own selves if it's, like, say they live by themselves or, right. do, you know, uh, you can still use your house in that way. Um, so, again, the, the home life is a pretty important thing. It's part of the qualification of an elder. So it even intersects within that. Uh, so this, this third leg is literally the house, the home life, the, mm-hmm. the Christian household. Um, I guess I'll, I'll read. I'm going to read Ephesians, and I'll let you talk about Ephesians 5 and 6 a little bit. I'm just going to read the whole passage through the um, obeying your parents as well. Uh, wives, submit to your own husbands as, as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and his body and himself is its Savior. Um, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to everything to their husbands. And then to the husbands, he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything such thing and that she might be holy and without blemish and it says in the same way uh, husbands should love their wives as their own body and then in chapter 6 1 through 2 uh, it gives well 1 through 4 children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right honor your father and mother for this is the first commandment that comes with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so here's kind of traditional Christian household that Paul's talking to, different roles within it. Um, I guess we could take each one, okay, uh, one by one. Do you want to speak to kind of the parenting aspect of it first, uh, like fathers and their children, so to speak? Yeah, yeah. Um... Ephesians 6, 4. Yep. Uh, fathers, and uh, I mean, I take that as parents. Mothers too, yeah. Yeah. Um, but basically, don't do this. Don't provoke your children to anger, uh, which is just a negative statement of, you know, make the house. Uh, Ray, I've heard Ray Ortland say, do I want to be Mr. Law or Mr. Grace? I don't want to be Mr. Law. <laughs> Mr. Law is no fun. I'd rather be Mr. Grace. Um, it doesn't mean that you're a pushover. It just means that you parent in light of the gospel. Um, but then uh, he does give two specific instructions. Bring them up in the discipline of the Lord. Bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. Bringing them up in the discipline of the Lord is the kind of discipline you give. Um, you can be moral-based disciplinarian or gospel-based disciplinarian. Moral base makes them love rules, and in the end, when they become an adult, they follow the rules because they love the rules. It's legalism. Gospel-based disciplinarian doesn't try to modify behavior so much as it tries to uh, address the heart. So whenever they do something wrong, you don't tell them, don't do that, that's the rule. You talk to them about their heart and try to, it's harder, it takes longer. You, you try to navigate why they want to do those things. And you want to talk to them about their heart and help them see that uh, they're a sinner in need of a Savior. And the good news is that Jesus died to forgive us of that sin. So it's a gospel-centered discipline. Uh, Those are the two ways that Christian parents will will discipline. Um, And it has major ramifications when they become adults. Uh, What seems to be, it's anecdotal, but what seems to be is if you raise your child uh, with a moral-based disciplinarian, they rebel when they get older. Anecdotal. Maybe that's not on the whole, but that seems to be what I've seen. If you discipline them with a gospel-based discipline, then as they get older, they have a greater understanding of the gospel as they grow in just general wisdom and knowledge and understanding of the scriptures. Their, their knowledge... Their, their understanding of the of the gospel is enhanced, and they they realize like I'm a sinner in need of a savior. And even when you discipline, you say, "And I, me too." Like your dad yeah. is a sinner in need of a savior, and I also sin, and I also need Jesus. And so you're pointing them uh, to 
to Christ. That's, that's the first side in Ephesians 6, 4, is disciplining them in, in the instruction, disciplining them um, in the Lord. The other side is instructing them in the Lord. Uh, so discipline can be moral or grace-based. You also want to instruct them. And I think of instruction as uh, very similar to what we were talking about, I guess, before we started. Uh, instruction would be um, both formal and informal. You need to have formal instruction in the Word, a, a set time, a set structure, daily, every other day, something that they know is coming, that we're going to be in the Word. I'm going to explain to you the next set of verses. We read this section before. I'm going to build on it by the next section. When we finish that book, we're going to go to the next book, and we're going to read through that book. It's a, it's a set, formal time. But also you want to instruct in informal settings. So that means it's not a open the Bible, we're going to spend the next 10 minutes reading, depending on their age. But it's uh, just in general around the house, whenever they do something wrong and the way you discipline them, that's also instruction. You discipline them in light of the gospel. Or if you do something wrong, you, sh- you say you repent openly to them. Or just if you're watching uh, TV together and something comes on TV that you weren't planning, you press pause and you say, why is that worldview wrong? What is, how does that worldview contradict the scriptures? Mm-hmm. Uh, in what way uh, is the world teaching you something that's wrong compared to what Christ teaches us? You know, I've, I've done that plenty of times where we've paused a movie that we've all rented, you know, a cartoon sometimes, especially these new cartoons, movies, like pause, why is that wrong? And then let them interact with why they think that's wrong um, or why that contradicts scripture. That's informal. I mean, I didn't plan that, uh, but certainly it's helpful in that moment to help them think. Uh, It's not necessarily wrong to be entertained, but you don't want to only be entertained. You want to always have your your Christian worldview ball cap on and be thinking. So those are the things I would say that you do uh, when it comes to Ephesians 6.4. Right. Um, Discipline and instruction. We see that with, I would say, the ministry of Jesus. There's times in which he's kind of formally preaching, like Sermon on the Mount or when he's in the... um, when he's you know reading from the Isaiah scrolls, right, and then he stands up and says, "This has been fulfilled in your hearing." But yeah. then there's also times where someone walks up to him and asks him a question, or mm-hmm. he goes to a well for a drink of water, or whatever it is, and it just the opportunity is created for him to then also instruct right. informally. He did both. Uh, yeah. You know what I should say? This is one other thing I should say. Um, the first word in Ephesians six four fathers. It doesn't say, church, bring your children up in the discipline and instruction of the yeah. Lord. The primary responsibility of teaching children is not the church. It's the parents. Yeah. Whenever I was a youth minister for a long time, um, the thing that bothered me the most was that I was the primary instructor of the word of God to youth. And I have, I actually eventually started something at the church called E64, Ephesians 6-4, where I taught parents how to become the primary, the primary instructor and discipline of their, of their kids. Because eventually I realized that it was me and it, re- it really bothered me. Like th- they were just literally dropping them off to me on Wednesdays. Uh, on, I'm sorry, on Tuesdays and FUD disciple my kids for me. And they were doing nothing the other six days um, and it really bothered me. I was, I was super convicted by it. So I started E64 so I could teach parents how to do it and equip them and encourage them. Like, you can do this, yeah, parents. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the church is a supplemental uh, discipline and instruction for your children. You parents are the primary God-intended way for uh, your kids to be disciplined. Therefore, this is the, this is the implication um, this is the final conclusion. When you're picking a church to go to, the best church that you can pick is not the one that has the best kids area. Although I, I like, I love our kids area. I think we're great, right? Yeah. Our, our children's ministry right. is, is great. The best way that you pick a church is, can this church disciple me? Do they exposit the scriptures so that I can uh, teach my, my children the ways I had someone come to me once and say, um, I really wish that your kids area was better. And I told them the best kids ministry that a church can have is a thriving 
preaching ministry to adults so that the fathers and mothers will thereby start teaching their children the, thing, the glories of Christ. That's the best children's ministry is a thriving preaching ministry that exposits the word, not a kid's area that has slides and playgrounds and programs. Or even just a good teaching ministry. I mean, it, it's still, it's predominantly the, the parent's responsibility. Well, it blew the guy's mind yeah. when I said that. That was, he well, was and, not thinking. And, and just to kind of back that up, here's the thing, like, think about some of the, you know, youth group, uh, children's ministry, some of the different age group programs that churches have had. I'm not anti those. Right, I think right. they're those, great. Those are we, all good. I want those at, yeah. at Remedy, and we have those at Remedy. Right. So I'm not saying those are bad. Yeah, yeah. But, like, if you want to imagine a setting in which people didn't have those, just read the book of Acts. Right. Right? And right. guess what? Their children were still being discipled. Right. Um, so it, it's it's definitely supplemental is the word. Right. Um, not primary. Uh, right. Anyway. And it, yeah, I guess for um, – I just want to speak, I guess, to, to wives and husbands briefly here, right? Uh, don't miss verse 32 where he says, The two shall become one flesh. And he says, This mystery is profound. I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Marriage and the roles thereby within marriage literally are there so that the gospel is made known. So e- even just – the idea of a marriage in itself, God created it to show forth the mystery of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Jesus' love for Jesus' church. Not the reverse. Not the reverse, right. Um, he didn't say, oh, I'm going to create marriage. You know what? Man, this really helps me understand the gospel. It's, I want them to understand the gospel, so I'm going to create marriage. Right. And so we're not going to get into complementarianism in this podcast. We probably will in a, in a, a future podcast. But there, there's a reason that there are distinct roles in the household, and it has to do with the gospel, right? And so right. I, I want to just, you know, obviously, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, right? So the wives are taking the position of the church, if you will. Right. And then husbands, um, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And then this next part, and this is more of a challenge, I, I, I want to challenge men in this church, uh, whether you're married or not. Uh, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the water, the washing of the water with the word. Um, men, you need to be firm in the word. Like you need to be able to understand the word. You need to be able to even <clears throat> aim at teaching the word. And I don't mean like teaching from a. You can get up in a pulpit and preach a sermon. But to your I mean, family. you need to be able to read it and explain it to someone. Mm-hmm. Even if you're you're single now and you don't have a wife, that is. It's a quality that we all should pursue mm-hmm. because that's primary in discipleship is being able to explain God's word to people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's also something that you can do right now without a wife. And men who do have wives, you, you need to wash your wife in the word. Like you need to be initiating that, not just kind of sitting around and hoping that one or two, you know, one of you is going to come up and say, hey, let's study the Bible together. You need to you need to initiate that. Right. The onus um, of responsibility of initiation always falls on the husband for uh, the the teaching of the word in the, in the household. Right. And, the, and it's not, this is not inequality. This is verse 32. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. It, it's it's about the gospel. It's not, it's not about inequality or anything like that. Um, so I guess let's talk about just briefly, and we'll, we'll kind of finish this up. What are, what are some stories you've heard or things that you do currently in your own household to kind of do some of the things that we've been talking about, initiating, uh, whether it's, you know, raising your children in instruction, discipline of the Lord, uh, washing your wife in the Word, or even just, um, I guess, things like if you can remember back to a time when you weren't married, like things that you did uh, with roommates or whatever, like any kind of uh, ways in which you've seen other people or yourself run kind of your household, so to yeah. speak? Um, well, it depends on your stage of life for sure. So my children range from 16 to 2 um, and the two-year-old special needs, and we have another one coming uh, in September. So my kids will range from 17 to birth. So teaching the Bible 
to them won't be the same. <laughs> you just can't teach. I can't teach my four-year-old and my 16-year-old the Bible in the same way. So my older kids, we're talking deeper theology stuff. Um, I give, I'm giving them books to read, like Sproul, uh, stuff like that. Um, not just in, but also not just for in general reading, but even for classes. Like we homeschool, so I can tell them, okay, I want you to read uh, this R.C. Sproul book on Reformed theology, and we're going to talk about it. Um, to memorizing verses with the middle ones to the younger ones, just reading, reading, you know the Gospels with them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and helping them see who Jesus is. Jesus is, uh, the, the new line I've been using now, it drives the older kids crazy, as I'll say to the young ones, hey, I want to read you a story about the coolest guy that ever lived. And they're like, Jesus, right, it's about Jesus. <laughs> and then we tell the next story about Jesus. We review what we read the previous day, and then we t- tell the next story. So reading the Bible with ten, four- and six-year-olds you know, for 10 minutes is different than discussing theology for 30 to 45 minutes with my older kids. Um, but we want to do it every day. We try to every day, right after dinner, before we start cleaning up the whole kitchen, um, reading the next set of verses that we read the day before and talking about everything that we learned and then having a a time of prayer. So that's, that's in general what we do, um, depending on, what craziness has to happen that night because I've got kids of all ages that do sports and ballet and all that kind of stuff. So, but generally lately, especially we've all been at home unless when I'm working and we read the next set of verses for as soon as we're done eating for 10 to 15 minutes. That's in general what we do right now. Um, but before we had kids, Christy and I, I literally had an old school alarm clock, you know, not on your phone, but like that plugs into the wall and has like the digital numbers that I set at 9 p.m. every day, um, and we would read for about 15 to 30 minutes systematic theology to where we would, uh, the 1,400-page, you know, Grudem book, we nice. would try to read that entire book. I don't know how long it took. Uh, we got up to, like, page 400 before Life Stage changed, right. so we never made it the rest of the way. Maybe we will later when life gets, you know, controllable where we could do that again and there's no way I could do that right now with all the kids I have and the way we have to do stuff at night but um, whatever stage of life you're in um, you know Grudem's not the Bible the Bible is what you should read but you know we would pray together and read the scriptures and try to read Grudem Uh, now prayer together I mean it just depends on where you are and how crazy your life is you need to have something and you need to have it structured uh if you can do it every day, you should. Um, if you need to do it every Sunday night, okay. Like, start somewhere. Right. The Lord is pleased with where you're starting. Mm-hmm. He's not, like, going to say, oh, that's where you're starting. <laughs> I wish you could do more. <laughs> right. Start somewhere that you know is attainable, that you know that you can do consistently, and then start seeing what you can do after that. That's, that's what I would say. It, depending on your kids, you know, if they're super young, don't expect an hour. Expect five to ten minutes as they get older. I mean, when they, my kids were super young and I only had little kids, we would just read the Jesus Storybook Bible. Uh, but now we can read the Bible with the older kids. Um, sometimes we'll get our, our guitars and we'll sing so- worship songs that they know. That usually turns into mayhem. And so, uh, and they get up and they just run around and no one does anything anymore and it's, it turns into a circus. But, you know, whatever. They're singing. Uh, so, and sometimes everybody prays, sometimes they don't, you know, like I try to implore as many things as I can, but you know, with, with eight kids ranging from almost birth to 17, you got to just, uh, treat them all in the ages that they're in and the house is crazy. So uh, know that the Lord, I mean, the main thing is know that the Lord's not mad at you because you're not doing more, Yeah, yeah. you know? So. Yeah. I guess I would, I would just going through some seasons like um, if you're not reading scripture and praying on your own, the likelihood of you reading scripture and praying with your future spouse and maybe even future children is likely not going to be a thing. Mm-hmm. So start now, right? No matter where you're at, what season in life, um, you can always read God's word 
pray God's word and apply God's word to your life and start doing what it says. Um, and so there's ways to do that now. But uh, one thing that Chris and I do is once a week we go through a chapter of a book of um, right now we're doing Mark. So we just go through a chapter verse by verse. We read it. We, we have like a 15-minute time where we, after reading out loud to each other, we kind of go off on our own and we make little kind of notes. What does the text bring to it light about itself? What are questions? What are applications? What are repetitions and stuff like that? And then we come back and we discuss it, and then we pray. Um, we just do that once a week. Um, so that's our formal, right? Mm-hmm. Informal, there's lots of conversations. We pray every night, mm-hmm. um, things like that. Um, with our children, it's the same kind of thing. We have young children. We don't have the, the wide range that you just said. We have mm-hmm. you know seven to, to two, uh, basically. And so uh, we just, once a night after dinner, we do what's called Bible time. We sing a song and everything. Um, we read an Old Testament passage, read a New Testament passage, and sometimes there's conversation, sometimes there's not. It just depends. Uh, usually, Eliana, seven-year-old, she can give some good questions. Occasionally, Macrina will. Roland, rarely to none. And then Edmund, you know, he's just running around screaming his head off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then after that, uh, my wife takes them through another kind of ten minutes of, um, it's called the New City Catechism for Kids. It was something that we handed out here at Remedy a while ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just answers, you know, who is God, right? And then right. they give an answer. Uh, and, you know, by the way, just side note, uh, some people, like, will accuse Christians of um, brainwashing, right? Aren't you just brainwashing your kids? Like, well, I mean, it just depends on what you view as truth, right? I mean, if, if God is true, if God is real, is it brainwashing to teach your kids math? We, we think math is true. We think math is real. Science, et cetera, et cetera. Name the subject, music. We don't see that as brainwashing, but we see religion for some reason as brainwashing. Um, Jesus is the truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And uh, we're called to teach our kids, to raise our kids up in instruction of the Lord. All right. So <laughs> so just to kind of end, end this already too long podcast, I want to talk about... Uh, different ways Remedy Church members can use their home outside of what we just talked about. We kind of talked about using it predominantly for your family or your roommates. Uh, what are some other ways in which, how, what are some ways that we can use, so our, our, our um, title, Making Disciples in the Home, we just covered that, but now Making Disciples with the Home. What, how can we use our home kind of as a weapon or a tool <clears throat> for discipleship? And this will be real brief, just ideas that we have. I'll throw one off to get us started, like brainstorm. Okay. Um, uh, we have two members here. I don't know if we can name them, PD and Kristen. I'll just name them. Um, they're, they're, start, they're kicking off a Bible study, a neighborhood Bible study, like once a week-ish. Right. Uh, where they invited neighbors, awkwardly, right? Because it's awkward. Yeah. Invited neighbors, said, hey, we're going to start a Bible study. Do you want to join us? And to their surprise... A lot of people said yes. Um, and so there's one example where they're going to invite people kind of to the premise of their home, and they're going to study scripture with each other. That would be like one example. Um, what are some other things that you can think through uh, that you've heard of or even just can be goals to aim at even now? Maybe it's not being done. Right. Um, well, uh, I've got two ideas that we try to do. One is, one is uh, whenever we have like like this coming Saturday, we're having a July Fourth party in our backyard. We're inviting our community group. We're also inviting all the people that live around us, hmm. and so where they will get to know each other, interact with each other, and oh, you go to their church. Okay, I mean the people around us pretty much know we go. To, we we go, I'm a pastor, etc. Um, but um, this is more informal evangelism than formal necessarily. But right. we're we're interacting with people not just not just in a like uh, party sense, but also to where we're having intentional conversations about church, Jesus, etc. Um, at some to some level, you know, sometimes you could say that's pre-evangelism, maybe, but um, it's certainly using our home, uh, our backyard at least, for uh, for the purposes of getting people together that we know don't know each other and may not all be Christians. They're not all Christians, so that they can 
uh, strike up conversation, have have become friends with each other, etc. Um, including me. Uh, that's one thing. Uh, another thing that I've just witnessed just recently is um, we've got kids that there's kids all around us, but we're kind of in the middle. And so all the kids that live on all the houses around us come to the middle of the neighborhood where ours is like dinosaurs. Yeah. Because we have, because we have, you know, like toys in the backyard that they like. Well, recently, uh, a few of my kids started telling one of their friends, um, I don't know how they got into the conversation, but they started talking about creation. This, this particular kid that was in our yard had never ever heard anything about the Bible and he had no clue where we came from. So they started telling him, Oh, we, they tell, basically the creation story from Genesis chapters one and two, God created everything. And here's what he did on the first day. And here's what he did on the second day. And here's what he did on the third day. Well, while they're telling him, I mean, this kid's just like dumbfounded. Like this is unbelievable. I have never, ever in my life heard this. This is so interesting. He's actually hearing where he's from, right? Originally, right. Uh, he as in mankind, and it's just blowing his mind. So they, the kids are so excited. This is a few days back. They come inside and they tell us the whole thing. Like we, we're telling him about about Bible and Jesus, and all he wants to do is no more. That's awesome. So we go on Amazon. We order a Bible, like a real Bible that's got all the scriptures. It's not like the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's the real Bible, but it is a kid's Bible. Um, and we, it comes in, you know, two days later, a day. It's Amazon, uh, and so now. Um, when it's in yesterday, when it was in, uh, he came over cause he comes over every day and they all play out in the backyard and they go back out and they give him his Bible and tell him more about the Bible. And he's so excited. He's like, you know, the first thing I'm going to do when I get home and they're like, what? Read my Bible. Like he had never had one before. And he's just so in- interested. And it's just, it's really cool to see kids tell somebody about God, Jesus in the Bible and the person that they're telling is receptive, and then they're excited. Mm-hmm. Like it, it yeah. renews my like excitement. Like I want to do that again too. Now you know, like uh, let me let me get excited about evangelism again, like them. So it's pretty neat just to see the kids uh, do it and you know, quote unquote, be successful at it and be excited. So yeah. it's another way. It's just your kids do it. Yeah. Um, one of the ways that our community group has grown decently close to each other is because we've all been in each other's homes on multiple occasions. Um, and so that's not me saying, Hey, do that with your community group necessarily. It's me saying that one of the best ways to also be a part of discipleship process, and it can be informal, formal, um, is to invite church members to your house and just have a meal with them and talk with them, ask intentional questions like, Hey, how'd y'all, you know, how'd y'all come to Jesus? And share each other's testimonies, uh, you know, and see where that goes. Um, so you can use your home in that way. Um, obviously, you can you can host people, you can put people up like Second John, Third John, right, where missionaries are traveling through and they need someone for meals and they need a place to stay. You might put them up for a, a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, obviously, you don't put up the false teachers. I think that's Second John, Third John. You usually put up the the true teachers. Um, so like you could put them up to witness to them, right? Right. Well, I don't know. <laughs> as long as you're, yeah, just don't support their ministry. That's what we're saying. <laughs> financially, uh, financially. Um, but yeah, so using the home is important in discipleship, community mission, and care, which is kind of three three principles of our mission statement, mm-hmm. along with obviously everything under the umbrella of the glory of God. All that can happen in and outside of the home. The home further strengthens it when we have our when we have our homes in order. It gives strength to some of these other areas as well. Yeah, I just thought of another. There's another kid that lives beside us that uh, during the whole Corona thing, when they weren't going to church, they uh, another one of my kids told this boy, "Hey, you can uh, you can watch church and listen to uh, daily devotions. My dad does on YouTube." And so this this his friend started watching the daily devos on YouTube that I did, uh, like a 12 year old watching daily devos and then now he watches our service every sunday um because he knows that his friend my son is watching uh church on sunday so he watches it too at his own home and then they they sometimes talk about it yeah yeah kind of crazy so let me end with this quote i'm gonna throw it out there even though it's confusing richard baxter reformed pastor uh 
classic book. If you have any interest in ever being a pastor, I recommend you read Reformed Pastor by Richard Baxter. It's very good. Wait, a question. As uh, Brother Daryl and Brother Virgil would say, do we need to cue the Hammond B3? Oh my gosh. I can't believe you just did that. No comment. All right. Uh, Richard Baxter says this. We're going to put it in post-production. <laughs> the, the life of religion and the welfare and glory of both the church and the state depend much on family government and duty. That's just how you run your family, how you run your household. If we suffer the neglect of this, the house, we shall undo all. As Daryl would say, that's so nice, you got to say it twice. Do I got to say it twice? All right. The life of religion and the welfare and glory of both the church and the state, that's the government, depend much on family government and duty, how we run our houses. If we suffer the neglect of this, we shall undo all. Cue the mascot. Which is why all three legs of discipleship have the home running throughout. That's very good. That's very good. That's Richard Baxter, right? Richard Baxter, reformed pastor. It is it is a it's difficult. A, it's a tough read. It's a climb. It's a mountain, it was but it's worth it. Written 200 years yeah. ago, 300 years More. ago. Yeah. 3 400 years ago. But it is good. It's really good. Yep. So. All right. Well, uh we definitely went a little longer than normal, but yeah. this was good. Roll of the home. Hopefully it was helpful for y'all. Uh, any closing thoughts, Chris? Yeah. Uh, invite your neighbors to study the Bible with you. Um, don't go five years in a neighborhood and not know your neighbor's names. Like second greatest commandment, right? Which is the law, by the way. So when we fail, when we fail at loving our neighbor as ourselves, it's the law. That's, that's not for us to rub it in our face and out of guilt try to love our neighbor. That's us recognizing our brokenness and then turning to the gospel of Jesus Christ, who was the good neighbor mm-hmm. um, on, our, on our behalf. But uh, use your homes, man. Use your homes to disciple people in the church and outside of the church. Don't let that be an opportunity that just passes you by. That's good. Well, with that, we'll close. Y'all have a good week being the church. In your homes. In your homes.